you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. chapter 22 verse 1 2 and then 5 through 8 and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him Abraham and he said behold here I am and he said take now thy son thine only son Isaac whom thou loveth lovest and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here. That must be where we skip to verse 5. Abide ye here with the ass, with the donkey, and I will go with the lad and go yonder to worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon 
uh, Isaac, his son, and he took the, the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both went of them together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is a lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both, so they went both of them together. You may put your Bible down. I want to pray over this. I gave them a title in the back. I forget what I've told them. Forgot it because I really didn't have a title. Again, I know what I feel led to, to, to teach and to preach tonight. So if you'll help me, I, I just want God to have his way. Is that all right? If you wouldn't mind praying for me and praying with me tonight. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for what you've given us. Thank you, God, for every chance and opportunity to be before your throne, God. To be in a, a place that you've called the house of God. I thank you, Lord, for this church, Lord. I thank you for every... Uh, uh, ear that's under my voice, God, I pray that you'd use my voice, Lord, I pray that there'd be an anointing that's within me, God, that I, I know not of, but Lord, that you would give, Jesus, I pray you'd help my voice, my mouth, my lips, Lord, let me speak with clarity and understanding, have your way tonight, God, in all that we say and do for you, Lord, in Jesus' name, and the church said amen, you may be seated. go back with me just a little bit before this Genesis chapter 22. Abraham was visited by the Lord. For those Bible teachers around here, this is mostly lesson three if you're just wondering. It's not that I'm trying to go line for line, but it just fits with what we're dealing with today. And in the early stages of Genesis, the Bible says that God visited Abram at that time who was 75. His wife was about 10 years younger at 65, and they haven't had a child. And they are told by God, you're going to have a people. This sounds great, except Sarai is 65 years old, and just like today, at a certain point in time, it's just not easy, especially if you've never had a child, to try to have a child. And so we get to this point where the son is born, but Abraham is now 100 years old and Sarah 90 years old having their first child together. 25 years a promise was made before it came to pass. It took a very long time. Imagine there's things probably in your life where you feel that God has promised you that he's never going to leave you or forsake you, that that he's going to bring home your prodigal children, that he's going to make a way when there seems to be no way, that by his stripes we are healed. And we have these promises that we read on the word of God and we're sometimes tested almost daily. Is this still true? Are we? Can we rest assured that this is still the living word of God? And so imagine no Bible back then. And here Abram, 75 years old, is being promised. You're going to be a man of a great nation. You're going to be the, the father of many and and considered the father of the faithful, and, and you're going to have this these people, they're going to be my people, and you're going to be the one that I work Yes. And so, you'll have to excuse me. I've been dealing with this mess for three days. I don't know what happened with it. I don't know if it was a town I went to, but God knows. And so, before this, Sarai decided, 
at sometime around 75 to 85 years old, I'm done waiting on God. And so she looks at her husband and goes, hey, I have a handmaiden. I want you to take my handmaiden and go and lie with her and, and, and bring forth a child. That way we'll have exactly what God's promised us. And so Abraham, for whatever reason, decided to go and do exactly as his wife had suggested. And then they, they bring forth this child called Ishmael. Anybody ever heard of Ishmael? I know there's a lot in here that this might seem very basic, but sometimes we just forget what's happened and where things are coming from. And so he has his firstborn, who is Ishmael. And, and in the Bible days, especially in the first few books of the Bible, when law is, is, is very real and prevalent to all of these people, um, the law is that the firstborn gets twice as much as everybody else. He's considered the heir to the throne in, in a monarchy and in a lot of ways. And so here's this Ishmael, yet it wasn't the promise that God had said. And so Ishmael grows up a little bit, and, and he's loved by Abraham and his mother, and, and now uh, as, as well as Sarai, you know, they're thinking this is great. And, and finally the time comes where God says, nope, now's the time I'm really going to bless you. And so now Sarai, who has a name change of Sarah, Abraham, who, or Abram, who has a name change to Abraham, is going to have their child, the promise. Excuse me. It has been 25 years, and now God's going to finally fulfill it. Abraham, 100 years old, beautiful bride of 90. Could you imagine that a promise you thought was done for and somehow you were just going to end up adopting or whatever the case might be, you feel old and stricken in age? I'm not there, but I'm 40, and if the Lord decides to bless us again, I don't know what I'm going to do because I feel like I'm just beyond that. Amen? Nobody. See? Told you. And so they have this child which God has, has given them and blessed them with, and, and, and so the child begins to grow, and it, it's amazing when you begin to read the story in Genesis where they have this weaning party where the, 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 the baby becomes more of a, uh, of a child, a kid at that point, and, and is weaned from its mother in, in all ways is what they considered it. And so Abraham decides, I'm going to throw a party, and, and this is the point where Ishmael decides, I'm going to make fun of what's going on here, and they catch sight of it, and, and, and Sarah decides, I'm kicking you all out. And it's very strange in this story because at this point, God has already given a covenant to Abraham. The covenant was a cutting of the flesh. We know it as circumcision. And the Bible says that even Ishmael was, was circumcised and was part of this covenant. And so it really creates, even in today's world, this kind of gray, foggy area. And so life goes on, and Ishmael is, is kicked out along with uh, uh, Hagar, his, his, uh, his mother, who is an Egyptian woman of all people. And, and there's a scripture that talks about it, and it's Genesis 16 and 22, and it says, he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. If you have ever followed who Ishmael becomes, the truth is his people are still alive and well just as much as the Israeli people or the children of Israel or the, 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 the faithful of the father of Abraham, if that makes all sense. And so even Paul remarks it. But what does Scripture say? Cast out the, 
the slave woman and her son, for the the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And so there's a lot in Scripture that refers to these two nations because God promised Ishmael's not just going to die, but God said, and he spoke to, to Hagar, his mom, I'm going to make him a great nation too. And so now we have these two brothers. It's really amazing to me, even in Scripture, when you read that, that Sarah dies. She, she lived with um, uh, Isaac about 37 years before she passed away, around, I think, uh, 127 at that point. You all will have to forgive me. And um, Abraham made it another, uh, like, 40 years. He lived to be about 175. And so they had these longer lifespans back then because the world was different and we didn't have all the pestilence and things we deal with and, and life that wears us down quicker. And so they were still working their way in this world. And, and so when she passed away, the Bible says that both Ishmael and Isaac together went and buried her. And she's buried even today in the West Bank. They have what they call this wall of patriarchs. And uh, it all stems from this family because they were considered the first ones that God said, I'm going to work through you. The Bible continues, and he, he goes uh, further in Genesis, and, and most of what I have tonight's in the book of Genesis until we get to the end. And um, the next generation was now Esau, and or Isaac, and, and, and as he grew up and, and had his wife, and, and they get to an age where God goes and deals with them, and, and the scripture says that, that uh, he's going to give him wherever you go. Don't go to Egypt, he begins to tell him, because the famine has now struck for the second time recorded in history. And with the famine, he was going to go see a king in Egypt, and the king was actually a, a Philistine. And God spoke to, to Isaac and said, don't go there. I will, I'll bless you. Stay in this land. This is your land. I, I promised it to Abraham. Here's my covenant, my promise to you that I will do this unto you. It's even amazing when you think of, of, of the covenant that God made. He demanded that. We are um, circumcised at that point under law on the eighth day. The reason it was the eighth day is because that's when blood flows in a baby's body naturally. Now they give him vitamin K and all these sorts of things to, to speed up that process to get things moving to where they can do it before you go home if that's a choice. Amen? That'd be good. Okay, great. So now we have Isaac who's been a part of the covenant and he continues on and he's He's staying in the land, as God said, and he isn't going where the Philistines were and, and wasn't going back to Egypt. But that's where Ishmael was. And Ishmael's mom was Egyptian. And if you follow the word Philistines to today, it translates into Palestine. When you look at Israel today, it's still the same Jewish people. We don't have a problem talking about them, but they're still very much alive and very much in the same area for thousands of years. This was approximately 1900 B.C. That's almost 4,000 years ago. That's a long time. 4,000 years ago was Noah, and now we have this just a, a hundred or so years later where we look at the genealogy, and here we are. And so we had Abraham, and now we have Isaac, and the covenant's made. And then he has two sons. And, and it's amazing that even though uh, Abraham finally had the promise of God, that his son was to go through the same thing that he went through. I know we've talked about generational curses around here, right? 
And some of you that aren't familiar with that, the Bible it elaborates on that where whatever the, the father deals with, the son will have to deal with. And so here we have Isaac, who's ready to have children. But the Bible says in timelines, it looks like it took him and his wife 20 years. In that time, there was no planned parenthood. There was nothing to stop the process to say, we're just going to wait except for God. And so whatever Abraham had to deal with, it seemed as though Isaac had to deal with it. And when the time was right, I think he was around 65 years old, he has twins. <laughs> I turned 40 this year. And according to my voice, I'm at least 65 or something. <laughs> Could you imagine having twins at 65? I see Joe Reason back there. He's, he's thumbs up to me like, I, yep, we're good. <laughs> Couldn't imagine what you deal with when you have that at 65. And the Bible talks about Esau and Jacob coming forth. And the name is given to Jacob, a surplanter, which is kind of like a used car salesman, just the worst of the worst, just a, a wheeler, a dealer, a, a guy that's trying to find his way and, and make sure he gets his, his bones or whatever, his pennies. He's trying to make sure he makes a buck and has this reputation. And, and so as he grows up and Isaac becomes well-stricken in age, it's time for him to get the birthright. Because he already sold it to his brother for a bowl of red beans. Esau was a red-headed man that sold his birthright for red beans. There's a Bible study there. Everything he messes with, it seems like, is red. <laughs> We're not trying to go into all that. But anyway, so you have these two brothers that are fighting for the right to be the one. And so when the time comes, uh, his dad says, son, go out. And, and hunt a deer for me and bring it and fix it the way that I like and I will bless you. And so Esau, the firstborn, which was the hunter, went out and, and sought after this uh, food because you, you either had a hunter or a, a guy that kind of stayed close to the house and probably made the sides, the beans, the vegetables. And so that's what Jacob's role was. And so his mom said, okay, now's our chance. Let's cover you with hair. Let's, let's see if we can get the smell right. Let's see if we can get the voice right. Let's, let's get the food right. And so they take it in, and Isaac's suspicious, and the scripture goes into it. I won't belabor the point. And so um, he blesses Jacob with everything. Blesses him. Now let me go back for just a moment. Isaac, now the second generation, was to be sacrificed on a mountain in the land of Moriah. Moriah literally translates in the area of Jehovah's choosing. And so it was a place that God was going to show them the mountain. So it was a very important mountain. Now, if you read in what they call the Quran and, and you read in what uh, they call the different chapters and different books, uh, surahs and, and things of that nature, and when you begin to read in there, they will... Uh, talk about it themselves where they say that Ishmael was the child that Abraham took and was to sacrifice him and, and Ishmael was the one and so we already have this battle planted years ago where these two brothers are now fighting over who was the one that was supposed to be or who was the one that was sacrificed and, and where did all this stuff come from even till today that's why the land is such a place where we all watch and look at I promise I'm not going to the book of Revelation okay y'all nod with me I'm not here to talk about end-time prophecy. 
I've got a bunch of it that always swirls around in my head. I'm not trying to go anywhere near that. But I need to know while I still do what I do. When I look at 1.2 billion of the world that supposedly serves Islam and, and is Muslim, and I look at 1.2 billion of the world that supposedly is Christian, and then I look at hundreds of millions in the world that are, are Jewish or, or whatever the case might be, and I see all these things coming together, it makes me at least want to say how rested assured am I in what I believe. And so we have these uh, different points and different spots where Abraham is, is sacrificing his son. We don't know which one. We, we trust the Bible, and, and, and the Torah is technically the first five books of the Bible, and, and that's what the Jews believe in, and then they have the rest of the Old Testament that they refer to, while we personally just go with the whole Bible. All 66 books, we find ways to make sure that it's real and relevant and, 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 and perfect in all that it is. And so Moriah means chosen by God. It was time to pass the mantle, and he was about to die. Both Ishmael and Isaac uh, uh, buried Abraham in the West Bank in the land of Hebron, also known as Canaan land. And so I talked about it, at where Isaac has to go through this, and, and, and Isaac told him, go to Egypt. And so God actually says, let me read this for a moment, if I might. Genesis chapter 26, the English, English Standard Version says it like this. Now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar and Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. And so Isaac and, and his wife, Rebecca, face these problems where they're having sons and they have these twins. And, and so now we have this next generation, and Isaac, stricken in age, gives his son, Jacob, the birthright. And so now Jacob is to lead his people. This is the first time that we finally have some people that he can lead. The Bible says he went and found a, a, a lady that he loved, this Rachel girl. And he went and worked for uh, uh, the dad. The Bible says, I'll, I'll give you seven years. That's what she's worth to me. And so he, he worked for seven years and, and got married and, and came out the next morning because of the veils and everything in that day and the custom and found out he had later uh, 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 married the tender-eyed sister. <laughs> the ugly one. Stop. That's not right. So he married the first one, and then he said, well, I... I Okay, great. That's it. We're done. Like this is it's happened. There's no going back. So now, what can I do to marry her? And so, uh, the dad goes, "Well, give me another seven years." And so he, he works for 14 years of his life, trying to marry the woman that he loved. And so, uh, eventually, gets both these wives exactly the way he wanted, at least the one of them. And and life goes on for him. And and so he begins to have children. The Bible said he's going to make them a great nation. Talking to Abraham and. And to Isaac and even to Jacob, the Bible gives him a dream where he, he wrestles with the angel of the Lord and touches a hip and changes his name to Israel, all in an effort to show, I have kept this covenant with you. Other books don't have that recorded. And so he moves forward in this, uh, uh, in this plan and in what God is trying to do, and he begins to have children. So he has all of his children. He eventually has 12 children, the last two that that Rachel was able to give at least sometime along the way was Joseph and Benjamin. 
And she died giving the second one's birth. But now we have 12 children. Now we can start something. Now we have a nation we can build off of. One and two at a time seems slow. But now we've got 12. And so we've got these 12 boys, and and yet his favorite is this Joseph character. It's kind of like the firstborn of the wife he wanted, not this other. Uh, and and, and it, if you read the scriptures, not all, all uh, Leah's children. There's a couple other concubines or whatever, handmaidens that were given in order to have these 12 children. But the firstborn of the one that he had his eye on was Joseph. And we know the stories. There's been plays made about Joseph and his many coat of colors and all these things. And so to read about Joseph is amazing to me to see where Joseph started out in this beautiful colored robe and his brothers threw him into a pit. And then one of them speaks up and says, we should sell him. We'll take the coat, cover it in some blood, tell daddy's dead, and we'll make some money. That guy's name is Judah. The longer you're in church, all we're going to hear that Judah is praised. But Judah had a beginning too. Judah was all about the money. You ever wonder why some certain people and tribes and, and a whole nation that's at war right now, they seem to be really good with money? They're called the Jewish people because they come from the, the tribe of Judah. That's where they get their name. And, and the first thing that comes out of this man's mouth that the whole tribe is named after is let's worry about money. And so here we are, and, and life has progressed. His first coach ripped off. Now he goes uh, to finally he gets sold and makes his way into Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, his, his wife, am I saying the right name? Potiphar, thank you. Sometimes my brain gets swirled around. So as he's in her, this house, uh, imagine the wife every day is trying to just make a move, make a pass at Joseph. Every day you're having to fend her off while you're trying to keep the books and make sure that the house is taken care of, wherever the husband's at every day. But you've got to deal with this crazy lady. And so finally she's, she's trying to corner him and, and, and make the whole world different. And so she rips his coat off of him as he finds a way to flee. It's amazing in those times. God even knew where he was going to place him in the midst of Potiphar's house. In those days, the law was you had to have two eyewitnesses to be murdered for adultery or for the act of that, any, any way, shape, or form. Two eyewitnesses. All he had was the wife. So he goes to prison because an accusation's been made, whether it's proved or not. The one that's, that's the higher echelon will go to prison. You know, they decide that you're guilty. This is what you tried to do. I'm telling you, you all believe me, right? And so he goes to prison. And, and, and the story continues where from jail, he finds his way out and uh, eventually finds his way up to Pharaoh's uh, to be his right-hand man because Joseph was a dreamer. This man's changing coats constantly from, from uh, the, the coat of many colors to the, the coat of Potiphar's wife uh, or of, of Potiphar's right-hand man. And then she steals his coat. They steal the colored coat. He finds his way in prison, and finally he gets put on in some royalty robes, and he finds his way to the second in command. Yet we didn't call them the Josephites. We called them the Jews. Because something began to happen during that point in time. So the story goes that they were in famine, and that's where Joseph told this story where he said, I can interpret your dream that there will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so every year they'd take a fifth of what was uh, produced and they'd put it away. And if you ever do the math there, it comes out to they had 1.4 years worth of stock. Yet that 1.4 years not only fed them, 
but the region for seven years. Bam. God's math doesn't match up with God's math. And so they work their way through famine, and, and eventually Joseph has his chance for revenge. Imagine, as Pharaoh's second-hand man, the first thing I would say is, hey, there's this lady called Potiphar's wife. Why don't you go take her head off? But Joseph wasn't about redemption. He wasn't about revenge. He just knew I'm here because God gave me a dream that one day my brothers will come and they'll have to need something and I'm supposed to be here. It wasn't about I'm going to be better than them. He just knew I'm, I'm supposed to be in a certain place where they can come and, and, and I'll be the, the best star out of all of them. They all got jealous with it. That's why they ripped his coat. And so he's finally at this point. Famine's happened and here comes the brothers because dad says go Talk to Pharaoh, see if we can get some food. They were the only ones with food because they're the only ones that knew how to interpret a dream because Joseph was the only one that was going to put, be put in that situation. And so in that moment, they find themselves going up to this disguised Joseph. They don't recognize him. They said, oh, Pharaoh and uh, whatever they called him, <laughs> CEO, <laughs> CFO, your chief food officer. And so... As he's there, they begin to look at him and be like, hey, dad sent us down here. Now, we're, we're broke. <laughs> we ran out. We don't have nothing left. Hadn't rained in months. Got a big problem on our hands. Can you help us? And so Joseph, still disguised, goes, yes, but tell me your story and, and tell me about your father and this, that, and the other. And they said, well, there's 12 of us, and we lost one when we were young, and and, and the other one's at home because he's dad's prize and all this sort of thing. And so Joseph said, okay, let me just keep hold of Simeon at least. And, and you all go back and bring me the brother and tell me what dad says. And bring father if you can and, and all these things. And so he comes back the second time and, and that time they bring back Benjamin. And so he hides silver in his backpack. And I know I'm covering a ton. Just stick with me. I'm going to go somewhere. And so I promise to go somewhere quickly. <laughs> and so... In this backpack, he, he begins to pack the, the king's silver and the king's, uh, uh, you know, goblets and different things, the, the drinks and the vessels. And, and so he sends them out and he says, all right, go chase after him. One of them's got some stuff and that he planted. And all of a sudden they bring back Benjamin. And everyone's freaking out. This means death for Benjamin. He just stole from the king. Are you crazy? And so uh, he began to look at him and, and, and say, you know what? I'm keeping you. I'm keeping you spoke up at that moment? A man by the name of Judah. Judah at that point finally decided to say, oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word into my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servants for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants saying, have you a father or a brother? And he goes on and on begging on behalf, putting his life on the line because he understood when Joseph was murdered, when he was sent off and sold into slavery, that dad about lost everything. He lost his mind with it. He was heartbroken. He was never the same. Now if he's to lose his other son, who is finally taking the place of Joseph at least a little bit, if Benjamin is to stay behind, if we lose our chance at him, then my dad will surely die. And so Judah speaks up. It wasn't about money this time. It was about a repentant heart saying, I'm here, let me stand in his stead. It's because of acts like that that are so little and minute that we have the Jewish people. And you sit here today in a church full of Judeo-Christian believers. We, don't, we know we're not Jews. You know what the Jews believe today? You, 
you shouldn't convert to Judaism. They say there's seven laws of Noah. Follow those laws, don't convert. If you convert, we've got a whole list of like 365 laws that you have to follow every single day. And you have to find ways to get your sins pushed back and all this. But if you follow these seven laws, you can go to heaven just like us. Crazy. So different to me. My Bible doesn't say that. It didn't stop with that. And so as time went on, eventually he showed himself and the brothers were so ecstatic. And so Joseph said, bring the family here. I'll protect them. Pharaoh was in Egypt. It's funny, this little country just keeps coming back. If you ever look on a map, man, they're just touching. That's where in the middle of all this fighting that we see, they were all trying, the civilians were trying to exit over into Egypt. It's the closest country to the area where all this conflict is happening between the the Palestinians and the Israelites. All right? Y'all still good? Just give me one of them batteries. Okay. So it reads in Genesis chapter 50 that Joseph has now died. If you've never read Genesis, it's 50 chapters long. You know who wrote Genesis was Moses. It's called the book of beginnings because he wrote it in the cleft when he was getting the Ten Commandments. He was the only one that was shown all this. This is all simply from God to show how the world began and how Moses got to where he's at. And so the Bible says that he died and they they took him at 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin and laid to rest in Egypt. And so that was how they started their lives and how this whole family and whole nation began was from these three patriarchs, from Abraham, from Isaac, and from Jacob. Forty times in the Bible it talks about those three in conjunction with each other. And it says, what about the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac? What about the land I promised you, the land I promised to Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, or Isaac and Jacob? Sometimes they might say Israel, depending on on what was written down. It was a very famous bloodline, and and the prophecies followed that very famous bloodline. But 2 Samuel 7 and 16 reads like this, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever and ever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. I promise not to preach all night like I said. Let me just break this down as best I can. That was back then. I've recently studied about the Jews a little bit because I want to know what they were celebrating and what happened with them. They have three feasts that they focus on. There's more than that, but these are the three big feasts of the year. You have the feast of the Passover, which they have went back, and it was written 200 years before Christ that they believe. Nobody can totally know because it was written by Moses, but they believe that the day that Isaac was to be sacrificed is the day that the lamb was slain. They believe it to be the same day because the lamb took the place of the sacrifice. So they think it all lines up like that. And and when you read about uh, the depths of it, so they have that Passover as one of their biggest feasts. And then what just recently happened was called the Feast of Tabernacles, which went all the way up until October the 6th, which is where they pray and thank God for his protection. And they worship him for it. And they they do all that they do in order to, to celebrate that feast. And at these feasts, they're commanded to be happy. We're going to be happy no matter who's leading, no matter what's going on. And so they work on their happiness, not joy, happiness. And so they have these two feasts. And then I begin to read this book where they openly admit we have a third feast, but it's probably the least of our feasts because we don't have too much written down about it. 
And it's called the Feast of Pentecost. So they begin to look at their feast and they say with Passover, they, they have this uh, layer, this, uh, I can't even remember the words that are, that are in Hebrew and Greek to where they, they describe it. They literally have 15 steps to their Passover that have to take place in order. Some prayers that have to be read specifically at a certain time. Drinks of wine and different things. Everything has its place. It's perfect. They understand Passover. The same with the Feast of Tabernacles. They, they understand this is kind of like our harvest and our time to thank God for what he's provided. It, it makes sense. And so the rules and the layers. But then they get to Pentecost and they almost don't know what to do. You understand why I'm still at church? Never understand, ever question, why do I keep coming Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday? I still have the same infirmities. I still feel the same restlessness. I'm still trapped in this uh, mortal body. I still have all these aches and pains. I, I still am frustrated with the family. I still have job issues and money issues. I have all these things. Why do I still keep coming to church? But don't forget about the land. Abraham took Isaac up a mountain the first time the Bible says that they're going to worship. And so they walk up there, and, and Isaac begins to ask, Dad, you brought fire. I got the wood. Where's the lamb? Abraham knows what God said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this one. Not <laughs> He didn't do nothing wrong. I have to kill, I have to slay him, I have to sacrifice him because God has asked me to lay down my promise right here, right now. But you know what Abraham did not do at the end of the day? He never killed his son. Right now you'll see millions of people, the whole world, you'll see protests happening all over our globe over the fact of who really was sacrificed at the Mount Moriah or the the mountain in the Moriah Egypt, uh, region. Who was the one? Who really has claimed? Who's got their roots the deepest? And the truth is, nobody died there except the lamb. The Bible says that I will forever keep your name enthroned in Israel and on heaven. We all know the leader of Israel right now is a man by the name of Benjamin Netanyahu. I began to look him up. You know what tribe he's from? Yeah, that's right. The Levites. He sits on his throne from the tribe of Levi. You know why I don't care? That's not what the Bible said. The Bible said that there will forever be somebody from the tribe of Judah that sits on that throne. That will come from the seed of David. There will forever be somebody. So who is Benji? Who's this BB guy? Is he, is he really the, the king? Is he really the prime minister? Is, is he the one that they're all talking about? That's where the world doesn't get it. He's already sat on the throne. He came down to this earth, born of a virgin named Mary, from the tribe of Judah, slain the lamb from sinners slain, from the foundation of the world. This is who we serve. His name is Jesus. He's everything. The Bible does say that by his stripes we're healed. It says that the, the nail prints were in his hands and in his feet. 
The, the, the amazing part is they don't even see it yet. The Jews don't understand their own verse in Ezekiel. It's somewhere in the 30s. I think it might be chapter 34 or 37. But in Ezekiel, it says that there's coming a day where the scales will fall off their eyes and they will behold him and they will touch the nails or the wounds in his hands. But they haven't put it all together that that's Jesus. They're still looking for a Messiah. Even the, the, uh, the, the Islamic people are saying they think Jesus is going to come back and fight and take down some bad, false Messiah that's going to take a throne. It's amazing how they've almost got it half right. <laughs> Yet the world misses it. They think that all this fighting is about land and two-state solutions and, and everything that is, but truly God is just trying to show himself before he comes back. Now is your chance. Now is our opportunity. And so we have these, these feasts that happens. There's two of them that they celebrate. The third one they never got right because Jesus came and died on Passover as the lamb. Rose three days later. The Bible says he spent the next 40 days with the, 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 uh, the disciples and making them and transforming them into apostles. And, and then he, he ascends from the mountain. And, but before he ascends, he says, go and tarry in Jerusalem. And, and I will, you'll be endued with power from on high and go and wait for me there. And so they go to Jerusalem, and the Bible says 10 days they waited. It wasn't just because they needed 10 days to just get their minds right and make sure we're all in unison. There needs to be a lot of apologies that happen so we can actually understand what God's going to do. No, the Lord was waiting for a feast. The Lord was waiting for something miraculous, and he decided to say, I'm not going to explain this one, because truly, when you look at Pentecost, there's some things that you just don't understand how it happened. So I'm not here to follow a bunch of laws that might take me from here to there, but truly, I'm trying to take myself to where he can come and live inside of me. It's not about me looking for a cloud by day and fire by night. I want that fire shut up in my bones. And that happens through baptism. It happens through the Holy Ghost, which is what fell in Acts 2. At the very beginning, verse 1 all the way through 4, that's what happened at Pentecost. And so there was this lamb slain for the purpose, for the foundation of the beginning of the world. He didn't allow Isaac. He didn't allow Ishmael to be sacrificed. There doesn't mean they're not part of it. But the truth is that they really weren't the one that was going to pay for sin. They weren't the covenant that was going to be the ultimate sacrifice. The Bible says he had a ram in the thicket, a male sheep. When Jesus was sacrificed, it was to fulfill that and to be a male sheep. That was to be the sacrifice for all of our sin. That's why we can be baptized and our sin gets washed away. Do you realize when that happened, Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says the veil was ripped from top to bottom. Who do you think would have saw that? Only the priests. Could you imagine being in there and you're going about your day, maybe you're trying to uh, enjoy eating at the, the table of showbread or whatever the day might have been, you, you just find yourself just loafing around and trying to pray or get right or whatever the case might be, and this thing's ripping top to bottom and you're just realizing something just changed. The earth just quaked, and I think Jesus is dead. Yet they never put it fully together because they still, even though that some of them got it right and, and, and they began.
begin to get baptized, they begin to get the Holy Ghost. As a nation, as a people, they never really bought into the fact that he was the lamb that was to be on that mountain. Amen? If you'd stand with me, I promise I'm, I won't tarry too much longer here. The truth is that there was a man uh, back when President Clinton was our president, and he was shaking hands with Yasser Arafat and some of the other leaders over there, and they were trying to make these accords, and it really was a big push. It happened in the 90s, the, the exact dates escaping me, but a lot was happening there. And they say that there was one thing that kept them from signing a complete two-state solution and a, and a big peace agreement and everything that the Bible talks about. He's recorded it in books and all sorts of things, our president has. And he says that there was one tunnel that they were 50 feet away from. One tunnel where they were just 50 feet shy of trying to get. They believed in that tunnel was the Ark of the Covenant. That seems like something so simple. 50 feet. Okay. I don't know if it's there. I don't know if it's not. You know where they believe it's buried? In Mount Moriah. Or let me say it right. In the area of Moriah, under one of the mountains. Some people say they've seen it where they see the drops of blood and they... They've estimated where there was crucifixions happening, and they think that there was a dried substance on what they saw, and now they can't even get access to it. And they said they scraped it up, and they said it had a DNA, that of blood, and they're, they're just believing that Jesus' blood dripped all the way onto the mercy seat. I don't have any way to prove that. I'm not trying to preach it or, or any sort of thing. But I will say this, that the reason our pastor, even for the past month or so, how, however long it's been since... October 7th, right after the Feast of Tabernacles when some crazy stuff happened. He's always in here saying we need to pray for Israel. I really feel we need to pray for Israel. Again, I'm not trying to take us to Revelation, but let me tell you just a little bit about what at least Israel is preparing for. They have six red cows. They call them red heifers. They've got them put up. They're all protected and these are really rare animals. Anybody ever heard of them? It doesn't matter too much to us. It's just a cow. I like steak. That's all I think about it. But to them, anytime they've touched death, they have to go and cleanse themselves before they can go back to the tabernacle or the temple. Six times since law was made for them, six times, they found a red heifer. That meets the qualifications. Now they have six. They're waiting till September of 2024 when the Feast of Tabernacles happens again. And they're just hoping that one of them won't pop up just one white hair. Because if there's one white hair, it's out. You go onto the butcher house, you go back to wherever you came from, go win some state fairs. Let's look at the next one. Stupid, isn't it? <laughs> and so they're waiting for this day what we see that's happening right now, because once they do that, they're going down to where they believe the last temple was built, which was the same place that the Dome of the Rock sits, and they're going to build a temple. In fact, Scripture talks about it. This is the one part of Revelation that really is fascinating to me. It says, don't count the outer court. I follow things online. They have these places. There's this place in Israel called the, uh, the Temple Institute, and they've literally reconstructed every artifact line for line 
on what the temple had as to what it does today. You can go online and look at it. They'll have the table of showbread made up. They even have an Ark of the Covenant in case they can't find one because nothing's going to stop them from building this temple. The Bible says don't worry about the outer courts. You know why we don't worry about those? Because you might not be able to take down the building that's sitting on it. So they're going to just make do whatever we have to do. It's things like that that let me realize that they're not going to stop with whatever their beliefs are of thinking they need another temple to go worship at and wait for the power of God to fall and all this sort of thing. But I'm trying to tell you, in the midst of all that, you better know who you serve. You better have it set in stone that there was a Messiah that already came and the chances of him fulfilling all of those prophecies, you literally could win the lottery like 300 times before you would fit in that criteria of of Jesus walking in, borrowing somebody's donkey. Do you realize that's like taking someone's car that you've never met and saying, I'm going into town. Be cool if I borrow this. What's that? And so in the midst of all of it, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy is coming forth. And he's just waiting for his time to go and do what he was called to do. And stretch himself. The Bible says that if he be lifted up, that he'll draw all men unto him. You see, a big portion of the world might have forgot why why he was lifted up. And, and even among you and, and us, there might be some that think, well, this person's right. We find ourselves getting political. This this one's right. There's no way they should allow that. And, and this attack was wrong and that was wrong. And I'm just trying to tell you, neither one of them was the sacrifice. It was always Jesus. There was always a bigger purpose. The patriarch was to set up the coming of a Messiah. We need to realize without that Messiah, the seven rules of Noah or whatever they are, the seven laws, that's not good enough. I'm glad the Jews might think we're okay as Gentiles. Just follow these seven laws. Good luck. I'm thankful there's a Bible that shows me that he came and died and rose again spent time with us, ascended to heaven, and came down that we might be endued with power from on high, that we can experience the Holy Ghost. That's why every Sunday it matters. If I'm able, if I'm there, if I can just get to church. Every Wednesday night, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but God is pleased when you make time for the house of God. He set all this up thousands of years ago with you in mind that I'm going to take you someplace that you could never go on your own. I'm going to use you to a level that you would never be able to be used without him, that he's going to invest in you, that he'll bless your children and he'll bless your generations. That only comes when we look and say, don't forget the lamb. Don't forget the one that came and died for you, that shed his blood for you. Nobody denies Jesus came and lived and died. Every other religion talks about their God dying, but even all those religions look to Jesus and accept the fact that he rose again. I know where the tomb of Buddha is. I know where the tomb of of Confucius is. I know where the tomb of some of these gods are, but my Jesus doesn't have a tomb. The Bible says that when he died, he went down to death, hell, and the grave He usurped all of time. He didn't have to stand and worry about what happened to that person that died 100 years before him or what happens to us 2,000 years in the future. He's already got the keys to your grave. The 
without those keys, hell is all we have to look forward to. But I thank God that I have something more. We're going to pray tonight just where you're at. I know that sickness is prevalent. Trust me, you don't want me praying for you. But I want us to pray even right where we are that God might soften our heart, even if it's not tonight, maybe Sunday or maybe sometime this week, that there would be a life that would be changed and that would find its way to a place of repentance. From repentance, that it would find its way to a place of baptism. From baptism, that it would find its place or its way to a place to be filled with His Spirit. That's what I wish God would do in this house. If you feel like you want to come to the altar, nobody's stopping you. But if if maybe you don't or you want to stay where you are, I just encourage you, can we just begin to pray together? Lord, we thank you tonight. Oh, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, Lord, for being that lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Lord, you knew sin was coming. And you decided to set yourself, robe yourself in flesh, Lord, and to be revealed to us. Thank you, Jesus, for an opportunity as a Gentile. Lord, as some mixed breed of talk, God, I, I thank you that you've given us a chance to be saved. Thank you for your word, God. I thank you, Lord, for eternity. I pray you begin to bless and move in this place, God. I pray you'd even touch those that need you, Lord. Those hands that were raised, that you'd begin to move on their life, God. That you'd show yourself who you are. That you'd heal, that you would make whole. That you'd deliver and that you'd bless. God good. Amen. I thank you again all for coming out tonight and hearing the word of the Lord. I encourage you to invite someone to Sunday. I just trust that God's going to do something special. I'm in the middle of a Bible study or two myself and I just, I'm going to be praying for those that I've been able to touch a little bit that God would just soften their heart and begin to move in them and I just want God to move even in your family. This isn't a time of, of we don't do nothing if we just think that this will all blow over. But we need to be serious about people's souls. We don't have to worry about what might be coming. I'm not concerned about all that. But Lord, help me to reach somebody for your kingdom. I'll say this and I'll quit. Noah's been 120 years preaching.